It's a quiet second service. <laughs> uh, let me start by saying this. Um, we, you all sat at the back. This little section here. Um, I'm going to just ignore you guys. I'm going to talk to the back over there. Um, uh, Sarah and I just got back um, from Romania. We were there this week um, with Jimmy and Gina, who some of you will remember were with us a couple of weeks back, just sharing some of their heart for uh, what God was uh, calling them to do in Romania. We got to be on the mission space with them uh, for a whole week uh, with uh, doing some of their uh, after-school programs, some of their feeding program with them. We got to get in and uh, have our first devotional and worship time in the 90,000 square foot factory that they have just uh, taken occupancy of. Um, and we could not be more excited about what God is going to do with us and them as we partner together. So I really wanted to just, right at the beginning of this morning, um, just to remind you to be praying for Jimmy and Gina. They are, are some of the most incredible people that I know, and they're just their journey of faith and obedience as they've served God, as they've, as He's asked them to step out in faith to uh, launch this base. There's a handful of the team that have gone over from Mexico that are starting things over there. And we just love everything that they're doing. And so I know some of you um, got the opportunity to uh, sponsor a child a couple of weeks ago. I know some of you have already been uh, hatching plans to get over to Romania, uh, asking me when we're going to be doing our trips. And throughout this next year, we'll be taking missions teams over throughout the year. And we're just, we're excited about everything that God's doing there. And to throw the strength of our church family right into the middle of that um, is just so exciting. So I wanted to kind of bring that report back in terms of what we were doing last week and some of the exciting things that um, God's up to. Um, we are in uh, this amazing serial series, The Gospel, and um, I, we gave this strap line to this series because <clears throat> we wanted our time over the, over the months that we wanted to teach on this stuff not to simply be a... Um, a didactic teaching exercise of how do we understand and grapple with the doctrine of the gospel. It's really good to know and understand the deep, profound theological understanding of uh, restoration and redemption and atonement and all the stuff that we've looked at. And I love the way San over the last couple of weeks has just set us up and to launch into this series to really ground us in um, the 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 clarity of the doctrine of the gospel but really for us this series is not just simply about knowing more it's about how do we establish a life that has lived from um, that place of the radical transformation that Jesus has made in our lives that ultimately that um, our lives would be a reflection of this good news and that ultimately that reflection would begin to illuminate the lives and people around us so that they get to meet Jesus for themselves, right? <laughs> this is yes, this is no, right? That this is the heartbeat of, of, of who we are as disciples, that we follow Jesus and that we step into his assignment, which is to make him known on the earth, that we actually take on board as our assignment the cause of Christ in the earth. And I, I love the fact that um, we get to understand the doctrine for ourselves. But what really excites me is a body of people that will take Jesus at his word, will understand who they are as his incredible sons and daughters, and then begin to live out this incredible adventure of sharing Jesus with the world around them. And that's why for me, um, we want to start, um, I want to start by sharing very briefly this morning about what it is to actually carry a faith for salvation. 
that ultimately that the we as believers have the opportunity to stir up and cultivate a faith and obedience to the assignment of the Great Commission in and on our lives. And we get to steward and carry that faith. Um, it doesn't take us long to look around at our neighborhoods, around the news, at society. And we're, we're desperately aware of the fact that people need to know Jesus. And so for us, as we, as we launch out this morning, I really want to ground us in and, and help us understand what it is to really carry faith. You know, I think one of the problems um, that we often have with this whole concept of faith is that we believe that it's something that we simply want God to give us, when actually it's something I think he instead wants to grow in us. Right? There's a very, there's very, it's a very different process you'll apply in life if you realize that actually faith is something that you get to steward and help grow rather than simply waiting for God to land something on you that will all of a sudden give you great faith. So faith is something that we get to be obedient with, we get to steward and we get to cultivate in our lives. You remember that um, in Jesus in Matthew 14, when he was talking uh, to the disciples about faith, he, he talked about and gave the picture that um, faith, even as small as a, as a mustard seed, can have a radical impact to move a mountain. And so what Jesus was giving us obviously was the context of, of even a little bit of faith can do extraordinary things. But actually, Jesus gave a context where, where, where faith was a seed. And even in seed form, it is incredibly potent, incredibly powerful. But I think it's important to know that actually with, with any seed, it's important to know where is that seed planted? And ultimately, how do we nurture that seed of faith in our lives? So faith for salvation, I genuinely believe, is a seed. It's a seed that I want to grow in my own life. I want it to grow in our church family's life. I want it to be planted in really good soil. And so this morning, I do want us to pay attention to how do we take this seed of faith and plant it in a healthy way in good soil in our lives. And I want us to be open this morning and from this point onwards to letting God grow and nurture this faith for salvation. That ultimately, we would actually start to take part in the great adventure of truly following Jesus and taking hold of this salvation, this good news message, and allowing it to become the most transformational thing, not just in our lives, but in the lives of the people around us. So often, I think that um, for many of us, we would try to grow any aspect of our faith um, through a sense of duty and obligated, right? If we've learned anything around church, it's like we've got to be we've got to be working harder and doing more, and it's kind of duty and obligation that drives uh, our growth in faith. But I want to say to you this morning, I don't believe that um, duty and obligation will will actually help you nurture faith for salvation, because ultimately, what I think, um, what I what I think duty and obligation does is it applies a great external pressure to your life to try and produce something which I believe is supposed to be internally motivated. That ultimately, that if we're going to be um, motivated towards the assignment of sharing the gospel, that actually that's, that's got to have a very different context than simply just how much pressure we apply either from ourselves or even from a church context or even from a platform where we pressurize you to do more in the whole realms of mission and the gospel. I don't believe that that's, 
the way that you sustain carrying a faith for salvation. I believe that you sustain carrying a faith for salvation through owning a burden, by carrying a burden. There's a very big difference between pressure and a burden. And I want to talk about that just for a couple of minutes before we pray and dive into some scripture together. Pressure is an external, uh, is where we are externally driven. A burden is where we are internally motivated. Pressure is uh, when someone tells us that I ought to be doing something. So, for example, in this whole area of, of carrying faith for salvation, I could get up here and I could tell you that you're doing a bad job. I could get up here and tell you very emotively and with a great deal of passion that you're letting Jesus down. None of you look bothered by that. This, that would be... You know, I could hit you over the head with the Great Commission. I could shout about it. I could scream at you. And we could feel bad about ourselves. And in some sort of vain attempt to feel better about ourselves, we could try to motivate ourselves. We could set some goals. We could try to achieve more. And But whilst living under this constant pressure of it's really all about, about how I'm responding to pressure. But let me tell you this. Living under constant pressure will always lead you to two things. Ultimately, you'll discover that you are never enough. And the second thing you'll discover is you can never do enough. That's what pressure will do to you. You can never be enough and you can never do enough. And listen, that type of, that type of faith, if we are, if we're nurturing that type of faith purely on the basis of the external pressure that comes my way, that kind of thing will last you about five minutes and it's not sustainable. But we're called to grow and nurture a faith, a seed faith for salvation because that is the blueprint and design of Jesus that we would tell the world about him. It's one of the the primary um, responsibilities of a disciple, that when we follow Jesus, that we share the good news. So if an externally motivated pressure is not a healthy thing, then ultimately, how do we cultivate something that is healthy, and how do we actually allow for ourselves to carry a burden, carry a faith for salvation? See, a burden is a very different thing than external pressure. Like I've said, it's being internally motivated. And ultimately, I believe that we, a burden is established in our lives as a response to looking at and facing a very real reality. That's what I believe a burden is. As we go through life, we, we take a look and we glimpse into uh, the reality of a situation and it causes us to be stirred. It causes us to respond internally to that reality that we are seeing or facing. And When we take a moment to look deeply at something, it can cause us to respond inside. It motivates us from the inside out and it causes us to respond with action. And, and there is, there is in lies the difference between pressure and a burden. A pressure says, I have to do this. A burden says, I'm compelled to do this. Two very different things. I have to do this because I ought to, uh, and I'm responding with my life more out of a sense of duty and obligation. And ultimately, that I genuinely believe is just religious behavior, that we somehow respond out of duty and obligation um, 
to something, and it's just religious behavior. But I'm compelled to do something. I carry a burden for something. Is where I respond to something because it's captured my heart, right? You've heard that phrase before. That is, I watched, I saw that thing, and it captured my heart. It, it moved me to respond in whatever way is possible. Now, I want us to carry a faith for salvation, but I want it to be motivated from that place of carrying a deep burden. So this morning, I want to try and connect you again with, the, with, a, with a profound reality. And I believe that this morning, in connecting you with, a, with the pr- profound reality of why we needed Jesus, that it would motivate and stir us and actually compel us to those around us who don't yet know Jesus. That would be my heart. So if that's my heart, can we pray? All right, Father, we thank you for the beautiful way that your good news broke into our lives. And for a moment, we want to reflect back to life that was before we met you, to remind ourselves of the way in which you have radically changed our lives, that you have created life where there was once death, So Father, I pray that as we connect with that, you would, by your Holy Spirit, you would um, connect us with a deep burden for the lost. That we would see around us ones who are not living in life, but they are truly living in death. And our ability to connect with their life story, but be a part of bringing the light and the life and the story of Jesus right into the heart of their story. To see change, to see transformation and to see life come where there's death. That's our heart, God. So connect us this morning with that. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke 15. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up. If you use an iPhone or an iPad, just scroll to wherever you need to get to. We're going to be in Luke 15. The context of Luke 15 is probably familiar to many of you, but um, Jesus was describing to some of the religious leaders of the day this whole notion of uh, being lost and being found, and ultimately was, um, was articulating in very, um, in very real terms the issue of salvation and saving that which was lost. And Jesus describes three things that are lost. He describes a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. He describes to these Pharisees that um, in the context of the lost sheep, he says, you know, who of you would have a hundred sheep and have one go missing, wouldn't leave the 99 and go find the one that was lost? And then the second picture that Jesus uses, he, he says, you know, if a woman had a number of coins but discovered that she'd lost one of them, wouldn't she tear a house to pieces? Wouldn't she her search high and low? to find that which was lost, to reunite it back with her. And then Jesus goes on and he, <clears throat> he really opens up this concept of what, what was lost being returned to that which it, from where, where it came. This idea of something being lost, being found, he brings it into the wide open landscape of humanity by talking about a lost son. And that's the story I want. It'll be a familiar story to many of you, but um, I want to read part of it to us this morning. So we're in Luke 15, uh, verse 11 through to 19. I'm going to read it from the J.B. Phillips translation this morning. It says this, Then he continued, Once there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property uh, that will come to me. So he divided up his property between the two of them. 
Before very long, the youngest son collected all his belongings and went off to a foreign land, where he squandered his wealth in the wildest extravagance. And when he'd run through all of his money, a terrible famine arose in that um, country, and he began to feel the pinch. Then he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him out into the fields to feed pigs. He got to the point of longing to stuff himself with food the pigs were eating, and not a soul would give him anything. Then he came to his senses. Remember that. He came to his senses and cried out alone. Aloud, why dozens of my father's hired men have got more food than they can eat, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and I'll go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've done wrong in the sight of heaven and in your eyes. I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. Please take me on as one of your hired men. I want to stop um, on the story there. It'd be a familiar story, but let me let me fast forward through the next few moments. Uh, of what happened. The son decides to go back. He, he's heading back. He's rehearsing those lines that we've just read over and over. What is he going to say to the father? The father sees him coming from a long way off. He hitches up his, his garment, which would have been totally um, the wrong thing to do in, in that day and culture. He hitched up his garment and he ran out to where he'd seen his son. And his son's about to start to uh, communicate the words he's been rehearsing. And uh, he, he doesn't get a chance to because he's enveloped by a hug from his father and we know that the story goes on and the the son is restored far beyond ever what he should have received he's welcomed back into the home and he's restored back into relationship with his father now <clears throat> it's a powerful story and I, I'm really conscious for our church community we've we've pre- we've preached on this passage a bunch of times and we've preached and zeroed in around really the, the father's house, the heart of the father. This is one of our core values as a community is that we know and experience and have at the very foundation of who we are, uh, the reality that we are loved sons and daughters. Now, what I'm about to say doesn't depart from that truth, but I want to focus in on a very stark reality. And that is this, that that coming to the Father, returning to the Father, as we see in this story, it only makes sense in the context where a son has come to his senses. Right? This whole story, this whole narrative of a son being restored to relationship with his father, it only makes sense in the context of a son who has come to his senses. And I'm, I'm conscious that we, we love talking about um, the father heart of God. We love the, the aspect of this story, which is a, a father who comes running, who's seen his son from a long way off, that he, he knows him and loves him. And this, this love covers all of, all of the son's indiscretions and it covers all of his sin and all of his separation. And the father covers him with his love and he, he puts a robe on him and he puts a ring on him and gives him new sandals and they throw a feast. And we know all of that stuff because we love the father heart of God message, Right? But guys, I have to connect you with the reality of that story. And the reality of that story was a son in a farmyard, starving to death. The reality of that story was that a man came to his senses as he poured out pig food into the trough. There was a moment when he decided that it it was more valued that he would eat 
the food that the pigs were eating. Now this that I have here, this is pig pellets. And uh, actually I tried it in the break. And actually it doesn't taste too bad. It's not actually as bad as you think. <clears throat> but this is pig pellets. But there was a moment when, when this son is out in the field and he isn't, he isn't doling out pig pellets. He in the troughs that he would have filled would have been days old food, food that would have been, would have been found in the city, found in the villages. And he would have brought that back and it would have been food that would have sat out in the hot sun for perhaps even days and an end. And, and, and it would have smelled and it would have been bad and it would have been rotten. And yet the son in this moment when he's considering what's my next option, what does life hold for me, he recognizes that he is a literal starving, dying man, enough to warrant him eating the food of the pigs. And in that moment, what happens? He comes to his senses. There's no journey home. There's no father's embrace. There is no restoration. There's no ring. There's no shoes. There's no coat. There's no kill the fattened calf. And if we don't have this moment when he came to his senses and the stark reality is that he realized and became aware of the death and desperation that had come from his disconnection with his father. He recognized that his very starvation, his very dying body was a result of the disconnection from his father. That it all started with his rebellion, but had left him pursuing a journey, pursuing a life that, wow, that's bad. Pursuing a life that had led him to desperation, despair, and at the brink of death. That's the stark reality of this story. We have to reconnect with the stark reality of this story because if, if we're going to own a faithful salvation, we have to realize that the whole journey back to the Father's house, the Father's house is not a restaurant. You know, when we're thinking about, about the lost, the lonely and the vulnerable, we're not asking them to make a better restaurant choice. We're not saying, oh, you know, it looks like, you know, you've got the option of pig's food or Mexican food or I hear the Father's house has a really good steak. Like, that's not the journey we're on. As believers, that's not our role. It's not to, and I sometimes feel like with our, with our focus and our love for and our appreciation and our value for the Father heart of God, we can almost just talk to people about the reality of the Father's love, which is like, don't get me wrong, it, it, it is really important. But the context of the Father's love makes no sense if we don't come to our senses. If we had not come to our senses, there'd be no journey home and there'd be no restoration. Coming home to the Father only makes sense in the context of come to your senses. And there was this moment with the pig food where that was the story of the son. We looked at his life and the desperation and the death and this destruction of his decision had led him to a place where he had to come to his senses. If we're going to carry a, a faith for salvation, if we're going to carry a burden for those who are lost, we have to look straight into the reality of life outside of relationship with Jesus. That was what happened with the son. He had to look at the stark reality of, his, of, of life outside of relationship with the father. 
that the numerous decisions that he'd made that had moved him away from relationship with father had ended him in death, destruction, and separation from his father. And listen, I feel like this is important for us to grasp because if we're going to carry a burden, if we're going to really carry a burden, if, if Sarah and I are not going to get up here every year and berate you about the poor or the lack of evangelism or the lack of missional behavior in our church, if we're not going to do that, and if we're genuinely going to say, we as a community, we don't just talk about Jesus in here, but we carry a burden to make him known on the earth. If that's our goal, then we have to connect with where we've come from to know the beauty of where Jesus has taken us to. Right? This is the, this is the heartbeat of the transformational message of the gospel. That once my life was pointed towards and heading towards death and destruction, and Jesus stepped in and changed that story. I know the reality of where I was going, but I know the beauty of where God has now seated me. This is, if we're going to carry this burden, we have to be okay to look into the dark areas of our shadow. The things that we're not so pleased that we've left behind. The things that maybe we have at one point been, have had shame over that we have left behind. The things of our old life that we have left behind. The way that we lived for ourselves exclusively that we have left behind. We have to take a look at the stark reality of that in our humanity and our story to be able to know where God has taken us to. Because it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's an ownership of that that allows us to carry a burden for those who are not yet landed where, where they can be. You know, our ability to remind ourselves of where we once were and the beauty of where we are now allows us to carry a healthy burden for those that yet don't know Jesus. And if we're going to be motivated by anything, it's knowing where we've come from and helping others discover that they don't have to stay there themselves. Listen, it won't be that we're going to go out there and find a pig farm and there'll be somebody that, like, the, the picture, the story is so helpful for, for us to understand the, the, the devastation, the destruction, the death that occurs when we choose to separate from God. I, I think this is really fascinating for us as well because one of the things that this story doesn't necessarily help us with is this fact. The son had, a, had an awareness of what the father was like and what the father's house was like. So in his moment of becoming aware, coming to his senses, he was acutely aware as he was uh, potentially chowing down on pig food, he was acutely aware of what was back at his father's house. And this is one of the challenges that we have for humanity and, and those that don't yet know Jesus is the reality is they don't know what it is that they've walked away from. And so this is why one of the major assignments of a son or a daughter is to demonstrate to the world around them just how good their dad is. To demonstrate to them just how incredible the father's house really is. See, see your friends, your neighbors, the people around you, they may not have a concept of just how good God is. And do you know where they're going to discover that? It's in and on your life. And that's something that we don't necessarily think about. The son knew. He's like, well, I either eat this or I go home. And I could just, I could eat like a servant. I could eat like a slave. But it would still be better than this. You know, at some level, the, the window into the heart of God, the window into the Father's love, the window into what it is to live for eternity with Father God, it's discovered through the window of your life. 
But there was a need for every single one of us to, for each one of us to come to our senses. And the burden that we now carry is for the world around us to come to their senses. Obviously, we want them to know about the Father's love. We deeply want them to know that there's a Father who loves them, that is waiting from afar. We, we want them to know all of that. But ultimately, it only makes sense in this space, in someone's life, where they've come to their senses. And I want to, for a few moments, just talk about how that really happens. I said, you know, one of the things we have to realize is that um, it is our assignment to bring people to Jesus. That is our assignment. It's right there in, in the Great Commission. It's our assignment to bring people to Jesus. It's Jesus' responsibility to save them. And it, it's more than that. It's God's responsibility to, uh, to awaken in them their need of him. That's the beauty of, of, of why carrying a faith for salvation is, is not your ability to save anyone, but it's in your ability to respond to the assignment that's on your life to connect people to Jesus, to help them come into an encounter with Jesus as they come into an encounter with you. This is what it says in John 14 verse 6. It says, I myself am the road. Other translations say, I am the way, replied Jesus, and the truth and the life. No one approaches the Father except through me. Here's the reality. That, that people come to know the Father in the context of them coming to their senses. They come to their senses in the context of knowing there's only one way, there's only one way back to the Father, and that's through Jesus. And then in that broader context, we also know that there is a powerful Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is with you. And he is a, he is a force for bringing people into a, an understanding and a revelation of them coming to their senses. Listen to what, how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit later on in John 16. He says, but very truly, I tell you, it is, um, it is for you good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. Listen, we bring people to Jesus, who is the only way to approach, to come back to the Father. And the Holy Spirit brings people to their senses. Listen, there's two Key things which Holy Spirit will do in those interactions with people. First of all, he will help them bring them to a place of reality about their position and sin. It is not my responsibility to bring people into, uh, into an awareness of their reality of sin. Holy Spirit will do that. That's the revelation of, of what the pigsty really is. That it's a place of death and destruction that occurred because of my decision making as I moved away from God or move my life away to, to my own selfish gain. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is, is he brings people into a reality of the possibility and the promise of returning home to a father who loves them. This is the good bit. This is the bit where we love. The Holy Spirit would, would um, make alive the reality of God as father. And so we recognize that there is a there is an assignment on our lives and there's a responsibility that God owns. The assignment on my life is to bring people into the reality of meeting Jesus. And they can't do that other than what I would say and how I would share my life with them. 
And so there's an onus on me to get in the lives of people and take the opportunities to show and to share Jesus with them. It has to be a response to our assignment. But in the midst of all of this, there is this, um, for people, there is this collision of the reality of their situation and a God who has a design and a desire that trumps anything that, that we could throw at him. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. There's the reality of our position. Now here's God's design and desire. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. You see it, you see the reality, and you see the design and desire that God has made available for that position to be changed. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. That's what the son knew out in the field. The decision-making process that he'd gone on from separating from, father, from his father had led him to a point of near death. But here's God's design and desire. But the gift of God, and it is a gift, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Second Peter 3 verse 9 says this, He has no wish that any man should be destroyed. He wishes that all men should come to repent. As so I want us to be really, really clear in, in, in this, that we're not um, offering people a different restaurant choice. Listen, God is not taking bad people and just making them better. He's taking dead people and making them alive. Like this is the power of the gospel, that, that Jesus didn't come to make bad people better. He came to make what is dead alive. This is the power of the gospel. Ephesians 2 verse 2, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. That was the reality of where the son was with the pig feet. He was dead in his transgressions and his sin. Verse 4, But because of his great love for us, compelled by love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. Listen, this is, has to be the reality that we call back to remembrance for ourselves. This, this remembering of our own story, this reality of our own story, that we were once dead, but we've been made alive. It mirrors the beauty of what happened on the cross, that in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, there was, there was a transformational power that we could say yes to, that we could step into, that meant our lives, could, which, are, which were once dead, could become alive. This is the beautiful story of the gospel. And I think if we can own the reality of our own transformational message, it will create an urgency, a burden within us to reach out to those around us. Because we're not looking around us trying to help people make better moral choices or make better life decisions. We're trying to help dead people come alive. Like if, if, we really, if we're really honest with ourselves, that is the transformational nature of the gospel. It doesn't tidy up that which is dirty or dusty. It transforms that which is dead to life. 
And if we can own that reality, we can carry a burden, we can carry faith, we can allow a seed of faith to be planted in our lives that we get to nurture and we get to be a part of seeing it grow. It will mean us stepping out in faith. It will mean us stepping out in boldness. It will mean us moving from being invisible in our office cubicles or on the bus or wherever we live to becoming visible and sharing and showing the reality of Jesus' love for people. It's going to mean something on our part. But if we can connect with the reality that we were once dead and we are now alive, that we were once in a field contemplating eating pig food, that we can know that this journey back into relationship with the Father all started because we came to our senses. So how do we help others come to their senses? I'm convinced that in the journey we're on as a church, that what we, how, we, how we stir up this faith, how we contend for this faith, is prayer. I'm convinced that as we begin over the coming months, uh, weeks and months, um, begin to point ourselves with far more intention around stewarding this faith for salvation, carrying a burden for salvation, that we will stir ourselves up and we will make prophetic declarations over the lost through our prayer. And so this is what we want to do. We've actually built a prayer wall. John's going to bring this over for me. We've built a little prayer wall, and we want to, every single week, take time to pray for the lost. And this is what we're going to do. So we have uh, a three-sided prayer wall. Um, it's great, thanks, John. And, um, and on each one of these bits of paper is the name of someone that you and we will commit to praying for every week. Now, we'll pray every week on a Sunday for the people that you've written down. If you want some external pressure, let me give it to you now. You're going to pray for them during the week. All right? That was pressure. It was external. I'll tell you you're doing a bad job if you don't pray all the time during the week. That's a joke. But we will. Every single Sunday, we will stir ourselves. We will commit together as a community to pray for and believe that those names that we write on, on, on these pieces of paper, these ones that we will contend for, these ones that we will stir up to challenge this seed of faith in our lives, these are the ones that we're going to see come to know Jesus. Right? And so many more beyond this. But, but I want, in a moment or two, we, we're going um, to close out. And by way of closing out, I want every single one of you just to consider and pray and take a moment. Who is it that I'm going to pray into relationship with Jesus in this season? How am I going to contend for and stir up the faith with prayer throughout the week? And when I come together and I stand with this church family, I'm believing for people who I'm praying for every day, seeing every day, and declaring over their life, they will know Jesus. And so in a very practical way, you know, prophetic activations are amazing because the prophetic is all around how do we strengthen and how do we encourage. And this is a great visual way for us to strengthen and encourage our pursuit of seeing the lost come to know Jesus. That those who are dead in their sins and transgressions come to their senses, meet Jesus, and take a journey back into a loving, incredible, outrageous relationship with Father God. So would you stand with me and we're going to pray and then you guys can um, take a moment to write on a piece of paper, post it through our little prayer wall and then we will pray together. Father, we thank you for the way in which you moved in our lives. And we remind ourselves not to beat ourselves over the head by, by thinking, you know, by accentuating 
our sin or accentuating where we've come from. But God, we ask that you'd, in that space, you would, the, the reality of what once was and where you've taken us, would that stir in us a burden for the lost? With that stir in us an urgency that this is not an issue of simply just trying to help people find and make a better life, but that it is finding life itself. So God, in this season, as we um, commit as individuals and as this church to, to pray in and call in the lost sons and daughters who are out there in and around our lives, we just um, make that prophetic declaration that those that we are stirring up in faith will come to know Jesus. We even with our mouths this morning say yes and amen to the reality of saying, Jesus, would you come and arrest people's lives? Would you invade people's lives? And God, would you use us to do that? Father, would you create an urgency um, through the sense of knowing, God, that this is life and death. Knowing that that was, that was where you took our lives from and to. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.